Yeah, alright then. What? Yeah, alright then. What? Oh shit! Yeah, baby! Sorry, what? Yeah, baby! Oh, God, this is awful. <laughs> just right from the start. Just start again. <laughs> okay, baby. Okay, I can't concentrate. I've been busy today looking up the chords to Through the Fire and Flames on UltimateGuitar.com, playing it really well. I love that it's called UltimateGuitar.com. That's me. Uh, you don't need any others. That's a very that's a very masculine uh, guitar. Uh, guitar. I don't know. Guitar is guitar a bit side. a bit of a masculine field. It's a bit macho. Well, I, it's a very mansplainy field. There's no, there's no chord listing on that site that doesn't end with someone being like, well, that should be an E7. Mm. Well, and you know, Pete, like I can recognize these flaws in the internet now. And I've left, because I've left that world behind. And I have, as, as the kids say, woked up and... Uh, <laughs> woked up and left the internet, yeah. Uh, no, 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 I, I'm back, no, I'm still on the internet, but I, I am pro I am thoroughly woked, like... Right. Uh, I've burned all my fedoras and have replaced them all with copies of uh, Gina Gershon's hat from Showgirls. <laughs> That'll still look like really shitty on you, though. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it will still look really shitty on me, but it basically um, I watched Showgirls and then I got woke because um, we found How's out that work. Because <laughs> we found yeah, that's what ha that, that's what happened. I watched Showgirls. And I got woke. That's the you, narrative you, you, you I'm just establishing. Brody, I'm sick of it. I'm, I'm bloody, I'm sick of it. Sick of what? I'm sick of not knowing what it is we do here. Oh, right. Okay. So this is Sequels and Reboots, the podcast where we uh, do what Hollywood just does not have the fucking balls <laughs> to do. And, and remake, sequelize or prequelize... Uh, we, haven't we haven't touched prequels yet. That's dodgy territory. Yeah, no. Pre pre I, don't, I don't even know if we're, if, if we're going to sink that low. <laughs> we, have, we have some dignity. But wait, I don't know. Well, no, Pete, because we've got the... Like I said, we've got these balls. We've got these giant pulsating... Um, oh, semi-radioactive balls and they just <laughs> they they drag us down like like diving like depth charges to de oh. to, to, to the like the the Marianas trench of oh. of, oh. of film ideas shit Brody why are you describing all this after we've got our artwork done <laughs> we could, I could have put this in the pitch just, by the way I am of course Peter Flynn and I'm Adam Brody that's oh, excellent it sounds great <laughs> our names, our, our names sound beautiful. They really have, they really haven't changed. There, there's um, a, there's a great timbre to my name. What, have, what have we got set up today? What's our, what are our challenges this week? So this week, uh, we are, we are being, ugh, ugh, god, that was awful. Uh, this week, I challenged you, Peter Flynn, to remake Jean Luc Godard's masculine et feminine. Uh, masculine feminine. Oh, is it I, just called masculine feminine? Okay, all right. Masculine slash feminine. Yeah, I think it's just the words put together. Who cares? Oh, he's crazy. What's, just out the box. What? What's French for slash? Mas masculine slash. No, slush. <laughs> slush. Slosh. <laughs> it is a bit of a sloshy language, isn't it? I I'm a bit annoyed with you this week, Brody. I gotta say, <laughs> this you. I, I, this is convincing me that you do have a little memo in your in your 
base of operations that just says, how can I just fuck over Pete with my premises, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, how do you remake this? Like, th- we got to talk about French New Wave because... Yes. Ugh, hugely influential, hugely important in just, just the canon of, of not just art film, but film in general, just in terms of the, the changing the, the very language with which filmmakers speak today. Uh, not quite so much to just revisit casually, especially with the means of repurposing it for a modern audience, I must say. I was a little bit confused as to what I was supposed to remake, actually, because (laughs) am I supposed to start an entire revolutionary film movement? Just do that again? Or am I just doing the plot, which is incredibly light in in a Goddard film? Or am I supposed to like regurgitate the politics that are very specific to 1960? So, what was your what was your frame of frame of mind when you threw this at me? So, it, I will admit it's been a while since I've watched *Masculine and Feminine*. But <sighs> when I remember watching it, I very clearly remember this one scene um, where it's it's sort of like this weird interview slash flirtation thing that's going oh, on God. between a a sort of one of Goddard's young men heroes and uh, one of his young female heroines. Between Jean-Pierre Lord and then him just interviewing countless vaguely good looking girls. I yeah, I guess. And but it's it's not just an interview, it's also kind of like a flirtation or a or just a it, it's right. like it's like it's like as it, it's like I think what happens if Jeremy Paxman tries to seduce someone, you know? Like, <laughs> like, I would say that's that honestly is a bit how it feels because I was watching this just being like, do do French people operate on this different uh, frame of emotion than everyone else? Because they're very much they're they're so dispassionate when they're talking to each other, and then but like these these men in this film are, are interviewing these girls and just saying the most outlandish things, just like, "Will you sleep with me tonight? Will you marry me? Will you have children with me? Do you want to sleep with many men?" Mm. And it's all like it's like it's like how people talk in like Shenmue, the Dreamcast game. It's like really stilted, and sounds like like they've never actually had a relationship in their life. Like they don't feel like they actually care about each other. They're just, like, vaguely interested about, like, what their vague sexual habits are. And I guess that's a product of making a film, like, on the cusp of the sexual revolution, where it's just, like, she had sex with two men in one week. Just anything's possible. <laughs> like, it just honestly feels like people just discovering sexuality for the first time and not, but not actually, like, making a big deal of it. It's really strange. Well, I mean, in discovering and put, and actually probably inventing like the way that we conceive of sexuality these days or or, or at least like popularizing it taking mm-hmm. like or or f- uh, uh articulating it as a discourse for the first time i guess um right but but like so anyway i i just i i remembered that scene very clearly and the this and that like kind of like interrogation across gender lines that whole yeah the whole aspect of it really stuck with me yeah and it really builds on itself you know like this this movie where this this guy is just having pseudo relationships with several women and it's all intercut with with just long drawn out conversations about you know about sexuality and popularity and and their relationship to uh to american commercialism and their relationship to any leftist movement that's going on at the time. And it's just like, 
the most patronizing thing to the point where it feels like Jean-Pierre Lord in this film is is like trapping these girls. Like he's intentionally trying to make them implicate themselves with how little they know. So like he's, he ends up asking questions just like, do, do you know what Coca-Cola is? She says, yes. Do you know who Karl Marx is? She's like, oh, no. And it's like, oh, what does that mean, guys? And it's just like, I know. And it's just the most sensationalized. It's it's so into its own politics in this very, like, surface. I think to, to our eyes today, it, it seems like the most surface thing. So he's just, like, being like such a dick to the women around him who, who are really into it. Like, Jean-Pierre Lourdes is was a pretty good-looking guy at the time, but these women are really into him, but then he'll just, like, come out with just some vague, like, yeah, but Vietnam, yeah? And it's just, like, really vague, generic 60s stuff. And I I, I know we, we, we all owe a lot to, like, the st- to stuff that happened in that era, but, oh, creating a romantic narrative out of, out of it is just... It's, it's a bit of a rough watch, to be honest. And, and I say that as someone who likes a lot of Goddard films, you know? Um... It's a bit weird that I was complaining no one wants to remake a, a new wave film when there is a Breathless remake, which I actually haven't seen. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of... You really complained about, oh my God, no one's going to make remaking the French new wave. Are you crazy? And I was like, yeah, they did it. There was, yeah. I, I was just watching I mean, like, I mean, it, it makes here? It makes so much sense for Hollywood to start um, co-opt... To start remaking the French new wave. Like, I genuinely... I, some some of those oh, films, some of those films, not a, all, not a lot of them, but some of those films have exactly what Hollywood remakes require, which is a title which has a certain amount of cultural cachet, and that can, and then that's all. Realistically, that's that's kind of um, where Hollywood's, at least art film remaking arm comes from right they they pick films which are known where the title is perhaps known or like it has a certain presence within uh people's minds it doesn't even need to have particularly large presence um but it just has a presence and then they just do whatever they want with it like i'm you i feel like a hollywood remake of bicycle thieves is not out of the question you know (laughs) i'm not entirely sure like why they would do it and and i mean uh if hollywood made like a heist film based around bicycles and called it bicycle thieves that could be great but that's the thing if if they did a remake of bicycle thieves it would probably it would still be uh, a narrative adaptation whereas i i feel like the 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 central product in a lot of French New Wave stuff, it is formal. It is it is a deconstruction, like a, a, a rupture of general general film communication that we're used to at the time. And I was getting that when I was watching this movie over and over, where, you know, this typical Goddard stuff, where like they'll have a whole whole scene in a cafe, just like talking, drawn out, having a big like aimless conversation. Then randomly there'll be some couple in there. There's some woman gets angry at her husband who's breaking up with her or something. He marches out and then she runs out, gets a gun out and shoots him in the back and he dies on the middle of the street. And then it's it and it goes on to another scene. I was just like, oh for fuck's sake! Like when they come and just and it's like this film thinks it's so amazing for cutting away to these things. And sometimes it does make me laugh. There's definitely a bit. There's a bit where Jean-Pierre Lowe's character he like. Uh, I don't know. He takes a bunch of pictures in a in a photo booth, and he gets out, and this like pop song starts playing, and he's just walking along himself, and he goes to this weird like parlor area where you can do bowling, 
And I think he like bumps into this guy or knocks over a guy's drink or something. And this kind of burly street guy is like comes towards him really ominously, ominously, and he like pulls a knife on him. And you're like, oh my god, is he gonna get stabbed or something? And the guy, for literally no reason, just turns the knife on, his, on himself and just stabs himself and dies. And then, and then the scene ends, and it's just like you can you can feel Goddard just being like, but what if? And it's just, <laughs> and it was like that's when I just looked at my notes and just had nothing to say. I that's man i did not remember that stuff see basically what i remember masculine feminine being was something of an articulation about like how men and women relate to one another Mm -hmm. um so that i mean that's why i picked it to like sort of drive back to the question you asked me five minutes ago (laughs) was was like the reason i picked it is because you know i think we're in a moment now at like a, a big cultural moment when uh, men and women are starting to ask ourselves, like, how we relate to one another. Um, Just now. <laughs> well, okay, fine. But, like, in a big way. In in a way that, yeah. you know, has do- has been dominating news cycles. I mean, and particularly men and women within the entertainment industry, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we've reached a point where sort of a, uh, a... Different forms of feminist discourse have... Okay, so there is a common language of feminist discourse that has become uh, known and accepted and just, like, part of everyday speech. Um, Mm -hmm. There is, like, certain basic assumptions of feminism, you know, like, the equality of women are, like, broadly accepted within some societies, Mm -hmm. Um, to the extent that, like, when you encounter people who don't think that, it's, like, an actual shock. Um, right and uh yeah so and like and like and then you and we've also just had you know a whole bunch of scandals and things um you know the harvey weinstein stuff the uh uh and most recently in the uk i don't know if the, i don't know if this news story actually made it to germany pete but what, did you, what happened did you hear about the president's club thing i was a bit confused about what it is Oh yeah, so for those of for anyone who's listening outside of the UK, so it turned out that there was Shock Horror, a men only um fundraising event that was skeezy as fuck. Um right. but like basically uh so a financial times a female financial times journalist um uh I think got into this party pretending to be one of the escorts or uh, sort of girls, I guess, hired to wait on the men there. Mm. And these girls yeah. are sort of, you know, they, they are given matching underwear with their outfits. They are kind of expected to be leered at, perved on, right. and be responsive to all of that in a very sort of okay. nice way. Um, you know, the the whole, like, there's a... Uh, there was a report, part of the news article exposing this event talked about how um some women some of these women like went to the bathroom just because they couldn't cope with it anymore and then they'd be literally dragged out um by their boss because you know they weren't supposed to be spending so much time out in there and they need to go out and be like leered at some more and whatever jeez so you know just basically men and women it's in the conversation (laughs) It, yeah, yeah. I, long st- long story short, there's just been a lot of stuff where 
you know, the, the, like these, uh, there's been a lot of stuff in the news lately, and I feel like they, it has helped to catalyze the presence of the of the, the sort of more mainstream presence of feminist ideas into like a real domineering dialogue. And right. I don't know, masculine and feminine for all of its apparently bizarre. <laughs> filmmaking techniques which i just didn't remember well, it's just ra- random harry curity just <laughs> happening in the middle yeah yeah i just thought that like oh you know that's an interesting film that is kind of about this stuff and it would be cool to see i don't know it'd be cool to do a, f- a similar film that like uh i guess moved on and sort of compare and contrast like how these how these dialogues work themselves out in the 50s sure. in the 60s like Jean-Luc Godard probably thought he was pretty 60s woke oh yeah definitely that film thinks it's so woke <laughs> um but like so it's interesting to i think it'd be it's an it's like potentially productive to look at that and then go okay so like where was he really wrong um but like right. where and yeah, how well, how's that it's conversation changed that. Um, okay, mm-hmm. good explanation. I think you're forgiven. You're forgiven for giving me this. <laughs> <laughs> I like how every episode now just because of Brody explaining himself. So, it's interesting that you mentioned just all these, you know, like the Me Too movement and these big issues of, of harassment and, and a general air of hostility and things, because that's actually not the angle I took, uh, for better or for worse. When I watched Masculine Feminine, I was like, what's at, the, what's at the core of this? And it is a relationship. It's similar structure to like a rom-com, really. Uh, and that's what I went with. I went through, I wanted to, you know, examine male-female relations through just modern relationships rather than broad professional things. Ooh. But that's also contrasted with the political angle the film takes. You know, the main character is is constantly um, putting up posters. He's, like, doing graffiti. He's, uh, he, he's protesting things. And that's also an interesting angle to take, especially when it's in relation to this very heteronormative, very kind of antiquated view of uh, of male-female relationships that doesn't seem to go hand-in-hand hand with, you know, this political stance. So I'm kind of making the central character of my movie a brochalist, in a sense. Cool. And, you know, we're going to say in, like, a, a university, probably in the UK, because we're not crazy. <laughs> and... Um, and yeah, this uh, this guy would become you know a a, a a good a name in in a in a leftist group in his uh, in his establishment, and he cares about his cause. He's 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 good with the rhetoric. He knows you know he know he knows the books. He know he can quote he can quote all of them. <laughs> and uh, uh, which books in particular, there, Pete? Oh, no, Brody, you, you know why I said that, didn't you? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> But then, <laughs> uh, for, for our listeners, uh, uh, Pete can't read books, <laughs> not, <laughs> not because he's lit- not because he's illiterate, but because he's actually too literate. It's one of yeah. these. It's one of these interesting things. Um, Pete re- Pete reads every word when he reads books, which means that it takes him literally ten years to read oh, one book. My God. Uh, that's actually not my issue. My issue is that I have a little man in my head who reads to me as I take in the words, and it means <gasps> it, if I go faster than he can read, it doesn't work. Oh, that's even better! Wow. <laughs> I don't like being put on the spot here. <laughs> I do read books. All right. <laughs> so you know, after some time, the 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 female lead joins this group, 
and it's more of what like does a your little what does your little brain man sound like sorry I, does he does he does he does he read in your voice or can can you adjust the voice no i think he sounds he sounds like a south african colin first can i say that <laughs> what the what the <laughs> hell does a South African... Wait, what? I'm just fueling this weird fantasy where there's a little man in my head now. <laughs> I was going to say, like, is it Patrick Stewart or something? Not this oh, bizarre... Be <laughs> Not this bizarre, like, upper-class South <laughs> no, African. No, no, it's it's no one. It's just a, um, it's just a text-to-speech voice, like Stephen Hawking. <laughs> All right. So our female lead joins the group and it's much more of like a, you know, a passing interest thing. You know, you know how uni students are. Probably you do because you've been in uni for 8 million years. Mm-hmm. Ha! See, I can throw back. So, um, <laughs> you know how freshers are. They'll like join anything. They'll check it out. And, you know, him and her, they, they hit it off and they fall for each other. They start dating and you find out this girl, she has a music career. And that parallels, you know, in the Goddard film, one of the main thrusts of the movie is that the the female lead she is a um she's a pop singer and specifically pop music like i actually really like some of the music going on uh where she's got like a legit career and she's being like marketed and 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 put in shows and 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 put in commercials and things which is kind of weird you just start to question like why is this main character dating her if he like disapproves of what she stands for so heavily like it gets a little bit odd Hmm. Um, but that happens, and you know, uh, they're nice to each other. You, you know, you know when you're you get in a relationship, and it's before that stage of like we've shared like every core of our being. Like, you could have some differing opinions or differing interests or differing like fields that you don't really touch on yet. Do you yeah. Know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You 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 you've seen this, and um, so he helps uh, just with with some little and and you know this is like a modern music career so this isn't just like you've got a good voice you can be in vegas or whatever it's just kind of one of these like you know like and subscribe add to my <laughs> fucking instagram i don't, I don't know how <laughs> i don't know how oh, oh, make is it. she like a youtuber then yeah kind of but like music based but like a savvy youtuber so like one that actually understands yeah, she, marketing she, and that kind of thing she cool. knows she knows what she's doing so she's modern in a very specific way in one that requires a lot of knowledge. In, the, in a similar way that, you know, he's potentially politi- politically understanding, she is uh, very savvy in another sense of modernization. Mm-hmm. Um, but within this group, within this leftist group in the uni, like, maybe he starts to... S- people start making fun of him a little bit. Or, like, that he's spending so much time with this girl. Or... Um, or maybe like she doesn't take things serious enough. So something switches in him. He starts being like a little bit more patronizing to her. And that's when we start to get like, you know, whereas in the 60s, these interviews with these girls were, it was like aggressive. It was just like, <laughs> question time, <laughs> answer correctly. Like, whereas today, I think it would be much more in, uh, subtle in like spaces of, you know, microaggressions or, or, or mansplaining or things like that. So like just intentionally bringing up conversations that, you know, she might not be able to keep up with or or might not have like the same perspective as you and controlling the, the, the dialogue like that. Mm. Uh, and when he begins to do this, I would like the film to completely switch, switch style entirely and suddenly be from her perspective. Ooh. And 
and I don't know, the, the, the film style will change and we'll just like have a completely different outlook on the world and we'll follow them into this next stage of a relationship, uh, which is going to address polyamory. Because that's kind of where the original goes. It's not that it's not that explicit, but it kind of has this. They they all start living this like under this weird like four way relationship. One one man, three women, all in one apartment. And what's weird in the sixties one is the, it's one guy living with with three women, and they sleep like three in a bed. But like, it's not sexually charged at all. Mm-hmm. Which I will I will say is like an interesting point for the movie to make. Uh, but like it, it feels honestly, it feels like no different to some husband and wife in the fifties, but just with four people involved. So it's like, like, like they sit down and just read in bed, and he's like uh, reading the paper and smoking a pipe and stuff. And there's just like three women just walking around, like um, tending to the kitchen or just like reading and playing music and stuff. It's not it's not treated as this uh scandalous like ooh check us out so horny like which I think is interesting. I think that would be an interesting thing to to revisit in a modern context cuz I don't know about about you. I live in Berlin. There's people who do this all the time. There's people who's just like in like three or four way relationships just like for years on end. Um and it's just not a big deal here. I will say it is a bit like the veganism of relationships like <laughs> So yeah, they would move into this stage where there were like one or two other women involved in the relationship and they all start living together. And um, what I would rather do in the movie, like the the original kind of just peters out in this kind of like weirdly dissatisfied, angry air where like this guy's living with like three girls and none of them really gel with him and he's just kind of like annoyed Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, the movie ends with him dying, which is weird. Like he falls off a balcony and, and while he's trying to take a photo and you don't even see it. You just see the women being interviewed by the police at the end, just like their accounts of what happened. And they, they're just saying like, oh yeah, he just, he just fell. So what I'd like to do is I would like to showcase, you know, something that actually isn't shown in films a lot is, would be a polyamorous breakup. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, if you've got more than two people in a relationship, booting one of them out is a weird feat. So I would actually want to show these women just realizing they're happier with each other than with this guy who's kind of just like using this relationship as as, as a sheen for like for style and progressivism and just try to get rid of him. <laughs> and when he gets like angry or annoyed... And, uh, and and kind of like refuses what's happening in this relationship, then I want the exact same ending as the original, where it just cuts to uh, a police report where these women are just talking, giving their accounts of how he fell off a balcony. But there's a slight implication that maybe he was pushed, <laughs> which is which is something I would I would honestly feel comfortable with putting as a as a logical conclusion to this character because he. The main figure in the original gets really dislikable, mm. where he just like restates over and over and over and over and over his like opinions of, of politics and women and the, the the weird like smush between them. And I was just like, what better uh, thrust in this movie than to resolve that with like an intersectional message of just like, you know, you can't have one or the other. You've got to, um, you've got to respect people in in. 
all all sets of, of of political standings and not just be like, well, I have these opinions, but I'm with a girl who's like on YouTube and she's like real shallow and blur by data anyway. And I'd like to have like a resolution where someone who tries to do that actually maybe gets killed. <laughs> hmm. I and like... so that would be the tone. It'd be like almost this like dating drama. I don't know. I'm. I don't know how I feel about that ending because I love. I love the switch around. Like that is a really lovely way of sort of making, you know, masculine, feminine. Like that's a really lovely way of sort Maybe of an- another ex- perspective other than some dudes. Yeah, but you know, like doing that switch, like flip, like that's really cool. Like, interpreting that slash as sort of like a dividing of the film into two halves. I also love the polyamory of it and sort of like a guy going into a polyamory on a, on the basis of like, oh, this is really cool. Um, look how progressive I am, folks. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but they're not, not being ready for people to like treat that as a real... Because, you know, realistic as like a, relationships... As like a real a, relationship, yeah. Yeah, there's always a contingency that someone will be dissatisfied and it'll end. And well, I feel like someone who got into that on those bases wouldn't expect that. And I also think that someone going into it on that basis like wouldn't expect how much work polyamory is. As far as I hear, uh, I right. w- I would like to state for the record that I have Fuck's I have sake. been uh, thoroughly <laughs> monogamous my entire what's life. This, what's this record that someone out there is checking? I I just like, I just want to I just want to like do due diligence. Like I don't want to be a person who like says things about situations he's never been right, in right. Okay, and, like, and like and <laughs> like allow an implication that like i know anything from personal experience i just like i am on twitter i listen to pe- i listen to people and i hear that polyamory is like a fair amount of work like it's like that's mm-hmm. not to like diss on polyamory like all relationships are a lot of work um i just i'm just saying this sort of like a guy like this doesn't seem like he'd be up uh, for on. doing the emotional labor of well doing an emotion doing any emotional labor <laughs> to start with but just you know, doing that for like two people well, at once. Yeah, I think it's also someone for for whom a polyamorous relationship only begins. That's the only, that's the thrust mm. of it. That's what's exciting about it. There's no like logical progression where most relationships take. Uh, it's just this kind of like we got this going. Isn't that cool? I mean, I I I love that. I don't love the decision to sort of replicate the death. I guess. Oh really? Yeah. It it feels. I don't know. It feels like oddly. It feels like an odd tone change. Um, right. I would also like to have it on record that I've never pushed someone off a balcony either. <laughs> well, you weren't talking from personal experience. I mean, yeah, not. <laughs> but yeah, I find it really insulting, Birdie, because I've lived this. You're <laughs> just telling me this is a silly ending to a film. <laughs> no, I, I get that too. Actually, yeah, I think like there's. Be... I get that too. I, I I feel like it's a it's maybe a more earnest ending if you just show like the logical conclusion like a, a logical breakup mm. uh especially also <laughs> to imply that you know other other modes of of relationships end in death probably isn't the best tactic i mean that was that was part <laughs> yeah. of my critique but just don't, but... with three other people oh gotta kill one now yeah i i just think that it's um I don't know. I I I like the I no, I mean my major qualm was like that's how I don't know, a sort of thriller ends and you're making a fairly I mean it's it seems more like you're making a sort of a um 
Man, I don't even know what to call it. Like, quiet drama? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I could imagine it's on, like, as a Netflix show, almost. Oh, that would be quite nice. But, like, but this is the thing. That's 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 what you, you afford by being Jean-Luc Godin. You know, you can just be like, ah, then he fell off and died. And you could like, do literally whatever you want. Well, you know, because you are just breaking all genre by the very nature of what you're making. Yeah, that is the thing. It's like what you described as going on in Masculine and Feminine, like... I mean, those acts are completely a genre. And like, I think that's the difference, I guess, is because, I mean, you know, I cannot think of another film where anyone has just stabbed themselves in the middle of a street for no reason. And (laughs) for that reason, that image is not genred, but, you know, the unwelcome member of a relationship dying mysteriously at the end of a... A film like that happens a fair that happens in a lot of films like that immediately yeah. is coded erotic thriller to me that's it yeah that's interesting that because i've i i kind of made every other beat in the film tangible genre wise it means the last beat it does does kind of resonate as uh as an established genre thing so that's a good point i i mean i don't i, I actually think that that's not i don't know i i don't know i think i'd contest that point i think the rest of your film actually is individualistic and kind of a genre i mean it, you know it fits into the nebulous thing of indie film but i contest whether that's a real genre or not um right but then the last but it's just that it's genuinely is it's just that last act is just then immediately genreified in my head like sure. i immediately see that genre yeah well if you have even a trace of tropes or genre in your Austin Powers sequel, <laughs> I'm going to be outraged and criticize you to Kingdom Come. Flipping hell. Arian, okay, so like you... I can't believe you're... Sorry that you're having this much difficulty with Austin Powers. I'm having so much difficulty with Austin Powers. And I, I'm going... To, right, okay, so I have... I have... Uh, I have. So, I feel like I have some very interesting things to say about Austin you, Powers. You have some real hot takes about Austin Powers. Ooh. I feel like you you deviate a lot. Okay, so there is some stuff. All right, oh, man. I, okay, but I'm going to start with why I'm mad at you for giving me Austin Powers, and I I worked this out today instead of really kind of instead of working out like what my sequel, what my Austin <laughs> you, Powers you four was why going you were to be. Annoyed at me. Yeah. It, and it really was because um, I'm not a particularly funny person. <laughs> oh, and, right. and And when I am, it's purely by accident. So the giving me a construct, giving me one of the most constructed sort of uh, 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 like intentional s- comedies. Yeah, exactly. Like one of the most like thorough bit comedies of like the of like the twentieth twenty first century um, to sequelize is just so out of my skill set. I kind of don't know what to do. Interesting. Like, like my notes, I I should just read uh, one. Uh, here is a sentence I wrote as part of my notes. Um, Austin breaks a baguette and it's his dick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, episode over. That's your pitch. You outdid me. I, that I, was great. I, like, okay. Um, right. I would like to hear some of your general opinions upon re- revisiting Austin Powers because yes, it was an experience for me. One, one, one which I was like, 
I'm amazed by how positive this is. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was so uh, just pumped by Austin Powers' general outlook. He's just so happy. Mm. I want more. I want more heroes. Like even outside of comedy, I want more movie heroes who act like that. He's just pumped about everything. Sometimes uh, literally. Austin Powers is. Uh, I. Austin Powers is one of those weird movies where a weird movie series where like. I in my head whenever I think Austin Powers, it's it's sort of in the same mental space as I place the scary movies. Um, oh, and it's just—I like, see what you mean, but I think they're still very—they're very they're, they're different. Still different, different movements in a way. I feel like Austin Powers led into that, but at the same time, Austin Powers still draws from a, a an earlier time of of farcical comedies. Yes, that tried. I mean, well, that's exactly the point. Like, I—that was what stunned me the most about rewatching. So I watched Austin Powers two and Austin Powers three. And what stunned me the most about them was just, like, Mike Myers is amazing. Like, he is an amazing performer. Um, mm. it's, it's not just that, like, in Austin Powers 3, he is playing four incredibly, like, different and well-realized characters. I'm, is Fat Bastard well-realized? Oh, Fat, fat Bastard is generally one of the more interesting Austin Powers characters, I think. Like, if you if you think about Fat but the entire design of Fat Bastard, like he like it is phen- he is phenomenally disgusting. Like every aspect of makeup on I Fat Bastard mean, is perfectly yeah, the, designed. The, oh the fried chicken bit. Oh it's so oh. grim. But what is that satirizing? Like what James Bond figure is that supposed to be a take on i don't like i i get random task and dr evil and even to agree like mini me but like <laughs> giant scottish man who wants to eat babies <laughs> i love Did that I miss that one i love the babies eating babies it's just kind of some and you're not entirely sure whether or not it's a joke and it <laughs> might well not be because he's like he wants to eat mini me it's funny that you're not just like for some reason when he says I eat babies, you're not like oh wow what a monstrous awful person. Like you're just like mm, all right. Like I've never I've never been so callous about eating babies as a plot point in a film. Yeah. Just like yeah okay. So so I I I mentioned so uh, Mike Myers does uh, like a ton of acting. It's amazing. I also think I also really love Goldmember as a character. I <laughs> I think I think that entire performance and again that. Uh, like the production does like the design of his outfit is oh it's so good that whole like you like sh- you liked Goldmember more than oh, Shagby, which I was shocked about I I think I love Goldmember I I as a child I always like I like Goldmember was the Austin Powers movie I'd watched like I watched Goldmember before any of the others but just rewatching it, I think actually that Young Adam was right and Goldmember may be the best Austin Powers movie. Oh my goodness, that's so bold. <laughs> I just think it doubles down on that joy that Austin Powers has. And I think. Sure. I mean, I think it's kind of beyond parodying spy films at that stage. Like a little bit. Well, no, see, this is my point. This is sort of the point that I have about Austin Towers. My Austin Powers hot takes. Austin Towers. Austin Towers. <laughs> no, no, Austin Powers. And I, I want to sort of, I'm, gonna, I'm introducing this, like, uh, this, like, uh, uh, sound effect. So, 
uh, this is me licking my finger. And then I got a hot take. Oh, I... no. <laughs> wow. We really are going back to the 90s here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, the the first Austin Powers movie is a spy parody, is a, yeah. is a James Bond parody. Very well observed one, too. Yes. Just uh, right down to the imagery is just... Okay. And also, I mean, the henchman joke is just brilliant. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, the next two Austin Powers movies are movies about a man called Austin Powers. <laughs> and they're not spy movies. and They're not parodies anymore. Like, that's, that's why... I, I, and Austin Powers 2 is kind of a parody, but it... It's doing Moonraker, but it's also really not. And then Austin well, Powers... It also just, like, it foregrounds its own ridiculousness where they just immediately have time travel. Yeah. It's like jumping the shark and just being like, check out that shark as you're going over it. I mean, it's the whole, it's the whole point where Austin Powers got frozen to go into the future and then he has to time travel back in time. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny. Um, but... No, no, no. But, like, Austin Powers 3 is about Austin Powers and how great Austin Powers is. Um, And, I mean, just from the moment where uh, Austin Powers, how Austin Powers 3 starts with a movie uh, based on Austin Powers' life uh, starring Tom Cruise, Gwyneth Paltrow, um... Kevin Spacey and Danny DeVito as Mini Me, which Kevin Spacey's in it. Yeah, Kevin. Kevin. I don't remember that. Kevin Spacey plays Doctor Evil in the. Oh no! In the fake, uh, Austin Powers movie in Austin Powers Three. And now he plays Doctor Evil in real life. <laughs> oh. Whoa. Oh, hot take. Hey, you, hey, oh, you're the, yeah, the, you're the one who brought up the whole Me Too thing earlier. I yeah. Too. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I forgot. I, it's it's really bad. I actually had forgotten that one. There's been so many <laughs> outings. Slip over. I'm actually worried now that we're banking episodes. I'm just like, oh, hope we don't remake something with like, like <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you you don't just end up like just casting someone who like in a couple of weeks is just freaking terrible. We're just like, they'll be great. Ah uh, well, I mean, I I. I you know me. I'm I'm prepared to have complex relationships with, uh, with actors. Um, you you have done yes. Yeah, yeah, and and All I'm. Right. I mean, I am the I am the man who kept on watching Dirk Gently's. Oh uh, yes, you did. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, well done. You get a sticker for that. Oh, it's so good. I'm. <laughs> All right, get on. Max Landis is such a pitch? bastard, but his that show is stop, so good. Stop stalling and give uh. me your Austin Powers. Okay. I'm like I'm like a mafia collector now, just like just shaking you. For <laughs> just shaking me for Austin Powers. Where okay. is it? Right. So my point, my thing with so I was thinking about Austin Powers, and I was thinking about how do I remake Austin Powers? How do I how do I do a sequel for Austin Powers? And then I kind of thought, I mean, realistically, there is. There is so there is so little value to coming up with like the plot for the fourth Austin Powers because <laughs> I mean was there much value to the first? Because <laughs> like these are the kind of films that are written by way of whiteboard, you know, just a bunch of things written down over the course of a day, and someone returns to it and goes, mm, "That'll do." Yeah, okay. start shooting. 
Yeah, so Austin that's... Austin Powers' dad? So that's kind of... Uh, oh my god, just the most perfect casting of Austin Powers yeah, 3 is Michael Caine as Austin Powers' dad. I... Oh my god, I... I I cannot get over how good that casting is. <laughs> I could go on about Austin Powers 3 so much. Just the joke about Goldmember eating his own skin the whole time is such... Is really good. It's really weird. It's so weird, but... Like, I wanted to see, like, that's... He does come from the same, like, space as Fat Bastard in that Mike Myers was just sitting around just being like, yeah, Dutch guy who eats his skin. Right. You need that. But, that, but again, it's such a perfectly distinctive um like action or thing yeah. to do i mean I, I i remember it really clearly like 15 years later so mm. I, and this is the kind of so yeah anyway um so end of awesome powers 3 scott evil is the antagonist now uh dr evil and austin powers have joined forces um and also mini me uh, and and also Mini Me. And also Mini Me. <laughs> You're not gonna kill him off. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna kill off Mini Me. Um, there could there could even be a subplot. So basically, I'm just gonna like I am going with the with this whiteboard approach and just kind right. of tossing out just, ideas. No, this, is, this is good. This is how this kind of film should be written. About what could be in an Austin Powers movie, and I'm kind of hoping that we can like get a bit of a back and forth here because, right. as said, can I give you can I give you a freebie? Okay. Austin Powers, Frozen again. <laughs> That's so logical. You know, like 2004 wakes up in 2018, and it's like an even bigger difference since the six from 60s to 90s. You get loads of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> such a woke episode. You get loads of humor from that. Oh, okay, yeah, no, that works. Okay, so yeah. What we're not allowed to flirt with 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 girls in the workspace, baby. <laughs> I think Austin Powers would be down with that. Like he that, would be down. I think, yeah, you got to keep him as like a decent guy. Yeah, so Austin Austin Powers. So, okay, here's my other thing about Austin Powers, which I, d- I didn't get to. Aust- the central joke of Austin Powers is that America is America struggling to come to terms with how sexy James Bond is. <laughs> and Struggling? Struggling. Because... The, uh, the entire American sort of uh, uh, stereotypical image of Britishness is mm-hmm. either sexy evil man or lovable doofus. And yeah. I think something in the American psyche, like, didn't quite know how to deal with James Bond. And then a Canadian man came up with their <laughs> solution, which is uh, a British man who is sexy for no reason. Well, I think he's also, he, I mean, he's definitely in in story story wise, he's definitely a James Bond figure. And the joke is like, oh, isn't it funny that like the most like suave super spy ever is is British? When in reality, the British people that like uh, got attention in the sixties and like had girls screaming after them were the Beatles, and they in themselves remind me of Austin Powers. You know? Yeah. They're kind of like dorky looking dudes with like weird teeth. And that yeah, that's the conceit of the joke. Hmm. So the whole thing would just be uh, this. So so anyway, so the the whole movie is okay. So Austin Powers gets frozen again. Perfect. He's in 2018. Perfect. Um, I think the antagonist is a woman. I think. I think. It's not Scott Evil. 
Uh, well, no. So, like, Scott Evil's in the background, but I think, like, you know, Scott Evil is not, like, a particularly imposing threat. So, uh, we get... So, like, the the chief antagonist, like, the person that Austin Powers is, like, having to fight is, like... Uh, is, is, is his sort of female alter ego kind of thing. Oh, like, okay. I, I, I feel like that is, like, the next logical step for Austin Powers is that he encounters a woman who is like, got as much mojo as he has. But... <gasps> But, like, not in a sort of, not in a dominatrix way and not in a sort of Bond girl way. But, uh, like, maybe a bit like um, Heather Graham's character in mm. Spy Who Shagged Me, because, damn, Heather Graham. Damn. Goodness me. Goodness uh, oh. but, uh, but also, like, I think Heather Graham plays the shit out of that role and kind of makes it her own. Like, there's a real... Um, like back like badasses and actually Beyonce yeah. fucking kicks ass as Foxy Cleopatra like I, it is god I totally forget Beyonce is in there I forget I awesome I don't part. even think Beyonce now knows she's involved <laughs> I think she's forgotten I think I one of the crazy things about Beyonce is that like 15 years no how, how long has it been yeah about 15 15, 13 yeah, years 15 later, years. Um, I feel like she could still play Foxy Cleopatra. I feel like you could trick Beyonce now into being in this in being this new Austin Powers film, and halfway through shooting, she'd be like, "I've already been in one of these." It would just hit her. <laughs> I mean, I think our biggest trouble with this new Austin Powers film would be finding would be getting Mike Myers on board, right? Well, he's pretty old now. Yeah, and like. Could you have a new Mike Myers? And Ooh. I don't know. Mm. I don't know the answer to that question. I, I can't. Can you think of anyone like in Hollywood? This is our Jim Carrey conundrum all over again. Oh, but it's, it's a, oh, is it, it might be worse than Jim Carrey because there's a certain sort of. You definitely couldn't cast a British person. That's not allowed. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. It has to be Britishness as viewed from outside. Yeah, it has to be like a Canadian American doing like a uh, a nicely observed, well executed British accent all the way through, because that's part of the charm. Oh, who would you have? This sounds like sacrilege, though, replacing him. But then, I'd... would you have? Would you just have old Austin Powers? That seems so wrong. That's like old James Bond. Yeah, you can't. Well, that's like. Well, actually, you could get some humor out of that. You could have him just clearly aging and ignore it in the same way that James Bond films did. Like towards the end of the tenure of some of the actors who've played James Bond in the years, they just look so haggard. Like someone, someone pointed out once in Roger in Roger Moore's last outing, the bit where he's like flirting with Money Penny. They like they haven't recast Money Penny for like twenty years. They haven't recast James Bond for like ten years. And you're just watching it like I'm just watching like just two old people flirt. This is really <laughs> weird. <laughs> you could you could definitely like have have some kind of uh, foregrounding of that weird fact if you if you had Mike, Mike Myers still in. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm like while that is, uh, I I see your point, but I think. I, I you want I want Austin Powers like I want yeah I want, want actual real, real deal yeah exactly I want I want energetic uh, I want energetic Austin Powers um, 
do you open it up with that Quincy Jones sequence there? Oh yeah. Like with a like absolutely no doubt will I <laughs> Could you could you carry it on like really long to the point where the audience is like, this is going on bitchy and like the characters start to realise that we've been in this dance sequence for like ten minutes now. I think I would sort of oh man, part of me kinda wanted to have the dance sequence like um fade like movie. like could you could you have the dance sequence sort of interrupt austin in the midst of like a spy in the midst of like oh. a spy thing so that like um as uh so he like he's on a convert he's like on a covert mission and then you just sort of hear the hear the austin power theme like start up a little bit and then he's like no no stop it stop it <laughs> and then uh and it quietens down and like it builds up again and it's sort of breaking the fourth wall a bit austin is yeah austin's like creeping he's doing he's doing his like sexy pussy cat uh move <laughs> thing i can picture exactly what you're talking about and and then, and as he's doing down the corridor and then he gets discovered by a by a by a henchman and he's like oh fine guys and then it's like dun, 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 dun. and then oh. the rest of and then the rest of the uh, sequence is like a shootout slash like judo chop Ooh, sequence through this like henchman's dude. lair and uh, and just the full blown title sequence is happening. You know, like <laughs> do, girls, do, do, girls. Do, do people are... still follow him? Yeah. Do you, does it create like a bit of a parade? Yeah. Yeah. No. Girls nice. like start falling out of like paintings and things, or just like come out from under chairs. Um, <laughs> like a, a full a full brass orchestra just appears and very nice and that and then that's why he gets frozen again because he balls up that mission because his because his theme song his <laughs> theme song started You're putting you on ice what is this I'm curious about this note of yours Austin breaks a baguette and it is his dick could you give that some context please uh, like uh, could you give me the, the the forty minutes of the film leading up to that moment and the forty minutes afterwards because I really need to know about that okay so. As 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 you may have suggested, as as I may have indicated, I don't really have a plot so much as I have like a succession of loosely yeah, strung together ideas. <laughs> this will be good. I want I want to hear your ideas. I want to hear the 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 gags that are going to be in the trailer and uh, and everyone's going to see before they see the film. Right. Okay. So um, I basically I I did a deep dive into Austin Powers humor. I really just sat there and like pondered it and like really churned it over in my brain <laughs> you <lived> pan. It. <laughs> Um, and did, you, did you walk around your apartment naked, like carefully lining up your dick with certain objects, so that if someone <laughs> was over there, they wouldn't be able to see it? Well, that was the whole. That's the whole thing I was going to say, which basically is like the entirety of. So, all of Austin Powers' humor is um, like the well, okay. There's occasionally differences, but like most of Austin Powers' humor, seventy percent of Austin Powers' humor is uh, something looks like a penis. Slash boob slash vagina slash butt. I guess I don't know. They're, those things are all objectively funny, so I can I see where they're coming from. <laughs> yeah, and like, sorry, I'm just thinking about boobs and penises and butts. Sorry. <laughs> all right, carry on. Um, and so I was just kind of like going through things you could do with that that the original Austin Powers because the original Austin Powers movies. Fair play to them. They found a lot of things that looked like penises and yeah. and did a real good job. Like, oh man, that little that uh, 
that scene where he's pretending to be the little boy whittling is that's a that's a good gag that is <laughs> oh yeah i remember that so i mean part of me is just like thinking oh what if austin got into a big fight with this uh with this like super sexy vavavoom lady um in like a succession of shops so right <laughs> uh so like he get so like he fights her in like a food shop um and uh, and like at one point uh he and at one point she like breaks a baguette in front of him and he just like goes oh baby <laughs> and oh that ain't right and don't quite do his accent right. He's, he's not. He's not that cockney. <laughs> he's kind of cockney. That I, just isn't right, baby. That just isn't right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> this could be the rest of the podcast. It's us fine-tuning our shitty Mike Myers impressions. I do like to think that you've got just tons of notes, just pages worth, and it's all leading up to this one gag where she breaks a baguette. No, I um I also had an idea that like uh he uses one of those like cream squeegee things as a gun so so like he's like firing cream at her as like she's trying to escape um and then at one point like he he tries to fire it again but like they don't like nothing comes out and then he sort of looks at the character and goes i swear this never happens wait fuck what was that you're like freaking Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins. <laughs> that... You you are a British person, Brody. It shouldn't be this long. I swear <laughs> it's never happened. And then... <laughs> I swear that's never happened before, baby. <laughs> right. we... What the All right. hell was that? That was you Mike sounded... Myers as Austin Powers. I'm sorry. No, no, that, was, that was not Austin Powers. That was Ringo Starr. <laughs> He is a bit Ringo Starr. That's his whole jizz. <laughs> All right. Give, give me your next gag. I've never been so glad to give you a picture before. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. All right. Like, I'm actually... Like, those were those are sort of my two best ones. And I'm having... Those are your best ones. <laughs> those are my best ones. <laughs> okay. Um, Lord, I don't know. Uh, 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 there's, like dynamite oh uh maybe he has dynamite down his pants um oh right like there's a bomb scare or something uh and he has to put a stick of dynamite down his trousers but everyone thinks he's got a huge erection and like he's having to get out of this building very quickly but he's being accosted by right. women right. he's being accosted by people who, well i never uh, by women oh, wait he's accosted these women are just really into this erection I, they're got. either they're either really into it or they're shocked by his him having it in a public place um do you know, do you know what do you know what? we've had this discussion about you know male female relationships and what's what's transferable in terms of how they view the world. I don't think many women see a man with a visible erection in his pants and go like, oh. <laughs> well, yeah, it real shows it off. Uh, there was that thing with Idris Elba a little while back, which I still remember, where the internet thought briefly that Idris Elba had a huge erection and, and a lot of people seem to be well into that. 
All right, fair. Oh, we're changing. I'm, I'm clearly behind the times. I'm like Austin Powers, you know. Yeah, and then Idris Elba had to do a press release about how it wasn't his dick, but like a microphone. <laughs> Dude, why was there a mic? Dude, I was going to say this is sounded silly, Austin Powers having a bit stick of dynamite in his pants, but if Idris Elba can get a microphone down there for no reason, I mean, I, think, I guess anything's plausible. I mean, I think it was like he was wired up to act. I mean, right. he, like uh, his voice had to be captured for some blood for some bloody reason Pete. <laughs> all right the question i really want to pitch to you in terms of this austin bowers thing is okay. what ridiculous deus ex machina don't give a fuck means are you going to just end the film with just like how how gold member ends well no gold member gold member doesn't end on a deus ex machina it ends with a reveal that you're actually watching like a shitty movie adaptation of the film you're watching no 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 it doesn't like this is the that's what i thought for some time but actually what happens is that um the film ends and everyone like likes each other and uh, and austin powers is like reconnected with dr evil and they're now all family again and it's cute oh, yeah. um and but like and then gold member runs to get away but he gets caught and then it cuts to uh, John Travolta turns, as yeah. as as Goldmember, but like that's just because the film that you've it's it's like another film got made of Austin Powers' life, and it's Goldmember, right? And, that, and that's only it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So like there are two in in universe Austin Powers. There are two Austin Powers films. Oh my goodness! What if that could be a thing? What if Austin Powers is 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 like constantly um, like batting off people who are like, oh yeah, Austin Powers. I remember you from those movies I watched as a kid mm-hmm. or something like that. Like Austin Powers have, like... isn't cool anymore because he, he, because he was in some goofy movies in like the early <laughs> 2000s. I mean, that's a good point. That's actually an interesting observation because I was wondering how would you reintroduce just the Austin Powers vernacular into a modern context because i was watching it just amazed that you could just there was once a time where you could just walk into your place of work and just be like yeah baby <laughs> just really loud and people would be like ha austin powers right yeah and like now that's the most like ghost stated thing ever it's like i think it comes in cycles like so for all it became borat for a while being like my wife yes like that that's now unbelievably dated and just ridiculous i think that's still funny and then it became bane i think it was bane for a while yes i mean um so we're still waiting for our next one uh i know i just think that uh maybe one of the struggles that austin powers could be encountering in this new world is the fact that his is the fact that all of the everything he says is is super lame and uncool um but then i think he does a dance and there's a song, and he makes God. it cool again. How would Austin Powers deal with memes? Uh, no, no, he, he'd, <laughs> he'd, he'd find them funny. <laughs> that needs to, you could have that, too. Yeah, he wakes up in 2018 and just spends literally days on end sending people cat videos. Oh, uh, did you see this one, Basil? And, and, and then Basil's <laughs> like, yes, uh, I've seen all of them. I think... <laughs> I've seen Basil's scene. I think our, our proverbial... 
whiteboard in the writer's room is a better product than the film itself. Just, I want to see this, what this whiteboard would look like where somewhere on it is just Austin Powers plus memes. <laughs> like, that might be a good way to end the film. Just, just pan out to, like, a writer's room with this, like, ridiculous whiteboard and them all looking just like, this is, no, we can't make this. Could Austin Powers go into cyberspace? <gasps> That's a great idea. Mm. What he gets digitized and like gets all tron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could that be a thing that happens? Could Austin Powers Brody. like oh. it's like some sort of like Austin Powers VR type style of thing? Brody, that's so good. I need you. Ah, oh, I need you to give me your PayPal details right now because I need <laughs> money for this. I am. That's I all I have is just Austin Powers cyberspace question mark. Um. <laughs> Like I was, so we've been listening to Blank Check's Showgirls episode, and the fact I love that little detail that Esther House wrote a pitch on a napkin and sold it for two million dollars. Yes, yeah, and now two million on its way. Yeah, I got my two million, and it's Austin Powers Cyberspace. Austin Powers Cyberspace plus maybe memes. (laughs) Plus memes. Austin Powers has Kitty. What if, like, at the end of the mission, it's turned out that his body, like, he's been in cyberspace so long fighting the bad guy that his body is now just withered and it's, like, worth nothing, but they rework it so that he could just spend forever in cyberspace in the 60s and, like, a digitized 60s and, like, he doesn't, he doesn't register register how existentially terrifying that is. He's just, like, groovy. Like, what if, what if Austin Powers has to, like, fight internet porn? Why would he? (laughs) Because... Well, I I think because, like, what Austin Powers is, is kind of antithetical to, I don't know, I wouldn't say all internet porn, because that is, yeah, that's, I don't think that's, like, uh, I feel like it's probably disparaging to a lot of sex workers, but just on the basis of, like, I don't know, this huge monolithic torrent of interchangeable, um, like bit of like a like distant sexuality, you know, like that kind. Yeah, of, like, yeah, he's one big innuendo. Whereas, yeah, it's like Austin Powers is just this like font of joyous, like ridiculous sexuality. Um, I don't know. Would he or would he just like assemble? Could that be a thing? Could Austin Powers like win the day in cyberspace by enlisting as his aide like a, a whole bunch of like porn <laughs> actors? <laughs> What digitized it's, versions of porn actors, surely? Oh, oh just oh, no, just like internet porn actors. Could you just get a bunch of internet porn actors into I, this I Austin like Powers that. movie? I, I would like because I'm sure he'd get on with them, but he'd also be amazed that like any kind of sexual liberation goes further than what he's already about. I no no. See, this is this is my point. Like Austin Powers has to just be completely into completely into. All yeah, of this stuff. He just has to be very surprised though. Just like, wow. And just like No, no. I I I think Austin Powers just says, Oh, about time, baby. Yeah. <laughs> God, our impression's terrible. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I, I'm all for women uh, I'm all for women's lip, so long as I'm all for, uh, for women's. <laughs> I I don't know, like what do you like Judith Butler was sexy, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Please, can we can we end this on that note? I'm so I'm so sorry. Whoever. What are we 
gonna challenge each other for next time, Brody. Okay, all right. I promise to I do a better. I promise next pro- time, baby. I promise to do a better job next time. No, this is this is one of my favorites, honestly. <laughs> okay. We need to forget that whiteboard somewhere. Well, I want to challenge you, Peter Flynn, uh, to come up with a mo- to come up with a, a sequel to a movie, which is absolutely absolutely needs one. Um, I want you to make a sequel to uh, The Nice Guys. Wow. By... That must be our most recent. I think so. But I kind of... The reason... I mean, I'll exp- you'll probably get mad at me when you watch The no, Nice Guys. No, and be like, I promise. But, like, I want you to focus... And I want you to focus on something. Like, I want you to focus on, like... What do... Like, making a sequel to characters rather than plot if you get where i'm coming from sure i see what you mean yeah i just i i watched the nice guys recently and my first thought on finishing this movie was like there should be more of these that's exactly what i thought at the end of this i was just like i need to see where like not where this goes i just want to spend more time with these two characters hanging out with each other yeah i want i want a full-blown like 10 movie series of of the nice guys. Do you know what the nice guys almost feels like? It almost feels like a, a prequel movie to an... Do you remember when they used to make, like, um, origin stories of TV shows, like Starsky and Hutch or, like, Dukes of Hazzard, and they were all, like, shit? Yeah. But it does feel like a very good version of that. It feels like there was once a TV show in the 80s or something called The Nice Guys about these guys who ran this, like, help out private eye service. Oh, my God, and yes. And that's the, that's the prelude movie. Like, that does feel apt. Okay. <sighs> I would well, I would kill for a Netflix show of the nice guys. Yes. Honestly. That's what that's what I'll make. Um so mm-hmm. I wanted to give something well, you you've you've seemed a little bit out of your element, uh <laughs> I wouldn't say, but you you seemed like you didn't want to be handed an overt comedy. So I'm gonna over I'm gonna hand you something very brody. Mm-hmm. Now, you've spoken to me about how you have a bit of a fear of ghosts. <laughs> Oh, no. So, I'm gonna give you the <laughs> the quintessential ghost movie, and you're going to remake for the modern age, Casper. <laughs> Casper the friendly ghost. The friendly ghost. What? There is no uh, uh, no, just a movie called a guy called Casper. You can put some ghosts in there if you want. Do not you don't you dare make a Casper prequel where he's alive. I can honestly picture that being some shitty like CW show. Casper, wait, but he's not a ghost. Wait, have you, wait, are we? To, we're, we're talking about the movie where Casper does go alive for a bit, though, right? Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, oh. I, I, wait. I, I, I'm just gonna sit back and and enjoy the fact that I said Casper does go alive. <laughs> <laughs> you have, no, you have no. That's quite good because it means you don't really understand mortality yet. <laughs> Yeah, you go dead and then you go alive you again. Go, you go alive when you get put in one of those weird... Mi- that movie's really strange. I'm, I'm so happy about this recommendation, Pete. I, I would totally right. into that. So next time around, we're going to see N- Nice Guys 2 and a Casper remake. And, uh, oh, a remake, you say? Yes, I want I want it updated. Okay, brilliant. Oh. Right. Thank you so much for listening Yeah. Uh, to, to this interesting episode. We'll see you next time on oh, sequels and reboots. Um, no, before and before you go, we have our first thank you to be able to give. Uh, thank you <gasps> very much, Jake Mansfield, for our brilliant Mansfield. cover art. <laughs> All right.
Uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be every week now. Yeah. Yeah, he's gonna make something new for us every single week. <laughs> oh I've right, got, no. Yeah, Wait, I've no, no, no. We're just gonna idea. no. We're we're just gonna um, we're, no. We're gonna thank him every week because that's what po- yeah. that's what professional podcasts do. So what do you, we could pretend to be that. <laughs> and without further ado, see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.